Today is October 15th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, Naganago, Mekoche, Stokom Aki. Hi, my name is Red Thunder Woman. My English name is Michelle Robinson. I use she and her pronouns. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S. Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika, Ganai, Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands were signed um, on September 22nd, 1877 is Treaty 7, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley Chiniki Bears Paw Nations of the Stony Nation, and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been so kind to me on my Red Road journey. Uh, Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot, Mokinstis as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian, I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act imposed status card. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Clincho Tine Indahe, meaning many horse town named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, honoring the host as a guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just share what I know as I walk down my red road. Uh, my Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to my previous donors for showing your support. I wish you all knew how much you're helping me during this move right now, so thank you. Um, if you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. If you cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or questions. You can also give a review, which helps whichever medium you're listening from. I have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe and you can go to Native Calgarian for the latest podcast and the pin posts on social media. So today I have a special guest with me. Uh, Catherine, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, uh, my name is Catherine Whalen Costin and I live south of Calgary, Alberta and um, close to the Sisika um, uh, nation. And I would, um, I'm just honored to be here to have a discussion a chat. Um, I used to have my own uh, online chat show, and I'm not sure if I'm completely finished with that, but it's called Let's Get Real Chatting with Catherine. And it came from that passion to speak, to explore, to go deeper than sound bites. I uh, ran in a couple of elections, federally and provincially, and uh, really got to know the inside of politics I recommend it to everyone uh, just to get to know our system what, what we're dealing with what we're up against kind of thing I am in the process of writing a memoir on my experiences with um, with trauma I've had multiple events of trauma in my life and and I, and I in my healing process I opened up to my spiritual um, gifts and my spiritual insights and a big part of my healing was understanding and letting go of 
some of the indoctrination that we all are um, living with from a very oppressive patriarchy. And so it was part of that exploration that led me, you know, I had to write, I think I've on my 12th edit of my book uh, at this point. And it's because the first several were part of the healing to get it out to get to hear my own voice. So important to share those stories. And we are living in a society with multiple generations of trauma in the uh, settler world, as well as in the Indigenous world, from what I can hear when I hear the stories of the Indigenous peoples of, uh, in Canada and, and across the world in you know uh, Australia and the United States, where we've been colonized. And, and so that I'm very aware of the situations. I There's so much I do not know, and I'm always open to learning and listening and hearing other people's stories. But part of it comes from finding out what my own story is, my own history. How did I get to where I am? How did I come to accept beliefs that were not my own, that were ta taught to me, regurgitated through the school system? You know, we weren't taught to uh, think in school. We were taught, um, you know, what to think. And that's where you got your, your best grades was if you could regurgitate what the teacher knew and what the textbooks told you, not the actual thinking process and I, I think that's a big part of where my passion is is to not tell people I'm right or even that I'm channeling wisdom from the universe because that's one of the gifts that became clearer to me I know I was born with that gift of clarity but I didn't and that's why I call myself clarity whisper um, and that's my website is clarity whisper art and soul because my as I grew in my healing I began to explore different gifts and one of them that came to me only recently actually it was uh, March of this year was my art and I had my first online art show last night so I was very excited to be able to share that but so my journey is and my passion is on sharing discussion sharing the need for us to communicate with each other. And when I, you know, whisperer came to me, not because of the cliche that there's horse whispers and there's this whispers, but it was a realization that be, perhaps because of all the trauma that I've been through, I have a really quick trigger when someone yells at me, I shut down, I can't hear them. And we're doing, you know, and I really feel like a lot of people have that trigger. If somebody yells, it's instills that fear and we only have you know fight flight freeze you know we are programmed that way mm -hmm. and if we don't settle that down and learn to have nonviolent communication where we're actually interested in what the other person's point of view and maybe trying to see it from their side even if we don't agree let them be heard but we won't hear when people are yelling at us. And I noticed that, you know, even as a child, when somebody's whispering, we go, mm, I want to hear that, you know, what are they whispering about? What, it was, what, what is that? You know, we say, we've got a secret or we get all kinds of things that whisperer really comes with. So that I think, um, hopefully that gives you the general of my, um, and, and we can talk about, you know, what my insights from the trauma, um, open to that. I've had some powerful insights about how trauma and um, 
and our programming around it and our beliefs about death. Um, and, and I hope I, I don't want to trigger anyone around that issue because I know it is a, um, it's an issue. It's a, it's probably the biggest fear most of us have. Honestly, Catherine, I think that's why I wanted you on the show was because um, I think that's, uh, you know, I, I run Mending Broken Hearts. I unfortunately know so many people in my community that have regular deaths. And, um, you know, we, first of all, are silenced, gaslit, and then, of course, we can't heal. But that bigger picture of that, you know, we, we are never going to heal if we don't start talking about it. And so um, I give lots of resources at the end of my show for that reason. And um, of course, I invite you to give more. But ultimately, like, this is what I, I mean, my entire life is a trigger warning. And anyone who listens to this podcast knows, like, we're regularly reporting new murders by the police of our people, or whatever else that has happened, whatever media bull crap has been put on our people, um, you know, politicians, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Like, these are violence, um, acts of violence regularly. So, um, you know, if we don't talk about it, we can't address them. So I, I just don't want you to feel like you have to pull a punch in the opposite. I'd like to you to talk about what has helped you heal because in our spirituality, uh, those whispers that you hear are usually our ancestors talking to us. And um, anything that you have uh, seen helped you heal is what we want to share because, um, you know, ultimately the Canadian government, Alberta government, um, you know, the health system is not designed for us to heal. It's designed to hurt us and harm us. So if we are going to, you know, disengage from that because of the, like in my case, the extreme racism in the healthcare system, and then uh, the funding only going to the actual organizations that perpetrated the harm to begin with, whether it's the police or Christian organizations, like it's not helping our people. Um, and this has been well documented in so many reports. And I list all the reports at the end as well, because, you know, <laughs> propaganda works and uh, a Canadian a, a popular Canadian narrative is oh my god I'm so fragile I don't know what to do with all our pain and suffering but I want to help all the indigenous people we've given you the freaking reports how many times how, how many, many more years? do you need <laughs> and how many years how Decades. many years yeah. <laughs> of, of saying okay so, and so this is where we we really bucking up against and this is kind of what I see about about trauma trauma and um the indoctrination that has happened to the globe, really, all people. We have had this, this um, so I wanna just say, this patriarchal ideology that has been ruling our planet for eons is not about men. It is a very toxic masculine energy from my point of view. And it doesn't just hurt women. It doesn't just oppress women. If you oppress the women of a, of a society, you are oppressing everyone. You're oppressing the men. You are oppressed. If you are, if you are taking away a woman's right to, to determine her own body, to uh, make decisions on reproduction and so forth, you are also handcuffing the male that involved with that woman. If, if it's, you know, if they're heterosexual couple, you are, uh, putting them into poverty. And poverty, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy, it, which is like a triangle, a pyramid, on the bottom of, when, when he was looking at our evolution and how we come to these places of um, being able to self-actualize, to, to realize our power, you look at the, the, you know, the top of the pyramid, but the bottom part is where we're in survival. 
And how do you keep people in survival mode? Well, believing one that you're going to die and you're going to die from, and they'll give you all the reasons, things you're going to die from. So you should be afraid, be afraid. Um, and also the, the, the concept of being able to um, think outside of the box and how wrong that is, the indoctrination from this, this it's, you know, it's kind of a tribal thing, but we have all these different tribes. And like, I don't speak for all women. I don't speak for all um, settlers. I don't speak for all of the people of my heritage, Irish, English, Scottish, Polish. Um, my mother's father was a Polish immigrant, was smuggled out of, out of Poland during the war in the early 1900s, before the war. So he, and he became a Canadian immigrant, never was so grateful to, except for, for being welcomed into this country. Um, but he, and all of that history was about oppression. And so you keep those people, he, he couldn't speak freely. He was always terrified of being um, sent back said, you know, uh, he had to be, um, he had to fit the little box and we all have these little boxes. And that is the bottom part of that pyramid. Which, and, uh, and by it, the way, he actually appropriated from the Blackfoot. So Maslow's hierarchy is actually appropriated from the Blackfoot. So if anyone were to Google uh, Maslow's uh, hierarchy pyramid and yes. type Blackfoot on top of that, you'll see that was actually something he stole from. Oh, I'm so people. not surprised. Yeah. I'm so not surprised. <laughs> I mean, there is so much of the wisdom that we have um, being shared by many people um, that was as not being attributed to the right uh, peoples or people. And so that does not surprise me, but the, but, you know, just the same, it's the understanding that if you can keep people in fear, you can control them. You can make them do all kinds of things. Right. Yeah. And so what I was uh, noticing was that the trauma, when you're in trauma, You've had, and trauma is not dealt with, and we don't have the skills to deal with trauma appropriately. Yeah. We, and um, Gabor Mate, Dr. Gabor Mate talks about, um, not just about addiction, but he, he really makes this such a powerful point. It's not why addiction, it's why the pain, mm. right? And so where, what do we do with that pain? Mm. And we're hearing so many people, like I, I, when I heard the stories about the indigenous graves near you know schools and what have you and like you say the news and 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 white people reacting to it as if it was their wound and you know how could this happen well how many times have you been in a situation where you didn't speak up how many mm -hmm. times and i know for myself i didn't have um a a healthy understanding of indigenous history in Canada. I had what, what, you know, the victors wrote the books, right? And it's the same, you know, with, with, with women's um, lives is never told the way that it really was. But when at, I was raised Roman Catholic, so for a long time, that is also part of this indoctrination, whether or not people are practicing Catholics anymore, uh, or not, and or Anglican or any of the ones that were in charge of these uh, residential schools. When you look at history, you've, we've only had small numbers at the top that were 
um, invading country after country after country. And North America's relatively new invasion by the colonial um, systems. But it's been happening, uh, Ireland, when I look at Ireland, how many times it was invaded by different peoples, and then the people that invaded uh, oppressed the ones that were there. But the thing of it is, it's the people at the top that made the rules, and the rest of us, like little ants, carrying out the orders. I mean, we, it, we've always been, it's always been the little people, so to speak, but really the masses of people who go to war, who we're the one who, who bring children into the world who end up being massacred on some old man's dream about uh, fighting for something. And we're not the ones who've ever benefited from those wars. And it's always been for the profit of the few and at the expense of the masses, right? Mm -hmm. So, but if you, how do you get people to go to war and kill other people? You've got to keep them in fear. You've got to, to uh, create an enemy that they can, they can visualize. They can, um, it's because of that person uh, that you don't have what you want. And I think that in, in Canada, we have had that, that um, I mean, when I grew up, all I heard about was the drunken Indian. And I don't think there's a Canadian my age or even younger that hadn't heard that because we, um, you know, I remember going on a field trip as a young uh, girl to um, Moosonee, I think it was in Northern Ontario. And we had to take up boats and they took us, you know, to, to go and visit kids on this reserve. I don't recall learning much about the culture at all. It was, I hate to say it, but it felt like going to the zoo. It felt like looking at people who were not like us. And um, it was really sad when I look back on it because we could have learned so much from an experience like that, but we didn't, we just didn't have those those experiences. So, um, so that's one thing is the fear. Can I, can I just kind of yes. give some context to that? I think that a lot of Canadians or Indigenous people need to understand that um, um, today uh, we're having folks deny uh, the genocide of Indigenous of these Indian residential prisons, and uh, I think the purpose of doing those field trips at that time was to try to legitimize the genocide and having folks like you um, in denial being like, well, I remember traveling there and I didn't see anything bad. And I think um, a lot of folks are unaware that was the purpose of doing that was to try to legitimize the genocide that they were doing and to try yeah. to um, pretend like things were okay. And yet here you were not feeling comfortable at all and in, and even compared it to being a zoo i absolutely even as a young child i mean i was always very uh, intuitive very uh, you know i i observed things that other people didn't um i had a very active dream time and a very um it just i was really connected to spirit even though i was really shut down for that i was really that was not acceptable i wasn't supposed to know things because i was a kid i was supposed to be just shut up and right until I was older that was always a thing when you're older you can you can have something to say about anything and the other incident that I had was with a, a teacher and it was in school it was about grade six and um, we didn't have a lot of kids that were uh, mixed race or indigenous or in the classrooms like I didn't I don't remember we had 
you know, French, English, the, that in, in the, it was a Catholic school. Um, but we had one boy, I remember, tall, um, handsome young guy. Uh, so about grade six. And for some reason, he wasn't fitting in that little box that that teacher wanted. And she actually got into a physical fight with him. And the thing was about it was that, I, I mean, I was traumatized by watching it. I was traumatized by watching. I didn't understand why she was doing it. I didn't understand what he had done to deserve it. Um, and there was nothing I could do to stop it. And it was actually a physical, like desk was being moved and, and things like this. And this is, you know, in the late 60s, uh, early 70s. And I, again, I didn't know. I and mean, he wasn't even in the classroom that long, long enough for me to have connected with him to, to know who he was, where he, you know, I knew he lived outside of town. I didn't know exactly that much about him or his family or anything like that. And, but the thing was, I had also had an experience about in grade four with another boy and he was not indigenous. And this teacher happened to be another, what I just, I'm a saddest, a, a strange, strange teacher sometimes. Mm -hmm. And she had humiliated this kid for absolutely no reason. She made him stand up on the chair and she had a big long ruler and she was going to beat him with it, but she was gonna beat him. She told him he had to pull his pants down so she could do it. Um, standing up on a chair and, and the boy was not, a, he was, I would say now looking back, he was very sensitive kind of a kid. And he really did. You could tell he didn't understand. And that was the first time I really felt like shame and, and how, um, people can be so manipulated through those tactics, shame and, and humiliation, and you're not good enough, and you're not the right whatever. I don't know what her issue was with him, because mm -hmm. I wasn't old enough. It's like grade three or four. Um, so when the happened to the Indigenous uh, young guy in, in grade six, it, I didn't connect it that it was because of that. I just, I had, by that time, I was already pretty well aware that the teachers weren't necessarily always teaching life they were had their own agendas I mean I was a, I was a bit of a rebel I I definitely stood up to teachers a lot in and got myself into trouble visited the principal's office a lot but I I could see things I could see the big picture and I could see the small picture but I couldn't see what was being hidden from me mm -hmm. I couldn't see all that stuff but mm -hmm. I also had you know this is where some of the, the this the, our trauma and repeated trauma and generational trauma that keeps us shut up that keeps us from from stepping out because it it's not just what happened to us this is a big thing for me and this is something i'm really going to expand more in my book and that is what did it mean we give meaning to our lives and we interpret what happens to us and give it a meaning like mm -hmm. That happened to me because I'm a bad person. That happened to me, because it didn't happen to anyone else. So why did it happen to me, you know? And without having resources to discuss trauma, to, to discuss mm -hmm. what happened, and, and even to go further than that, to understand that we are, there's only one way off this planet, only one way, we are going to die. We cannot prevent that. And we don't know when. 
we it's not uh you know it's as if we act and live as if there's an option that we're not we're you know like if you do this you're going to die or you do that you're going to die it's the constant threat and part of that you're going to die is how and if you're rejected by your community by your tribe by your gender by your uh family for having a different your instinct your survival instinct kicks in you're going to die because i think that that is is part of our history as as human beings if you get rejected from your family or you know and way back before cities and living in the wild you were shunned by the community you would die you have nothing on your own so that's in us that sense of being disowned but i had this revelation just recently actually about being disowned and how that's been used on us as a tool. If you if you speak up, if you do anything that's not in the box, we'll disown you. And being disowned is just absolutely the worst thing. And um, I was doing the dishes one night and all of a sudden it hit me like a brick. I was like, what is so wrong with being disowned? How incredible. I mean, do I want to be owned in reality? And, and I realized that came from my generational, uh, the slavery. When a slave was disowned in, in the African slaves, we hear this in, through the history. Now, I'm not sure, I've, I'm obviously I'm quoting whatever was written, but when the laws changed in the United States and people were let go and declared free, they hadn't been used to, they hadn't been prepared for that freedom. So they were used to the master controlling them, the master putting the food on the table or providing for them. So given your freedom and being disowned in that situation, a lot of them perished because of the system that had been set up. If you, you were owned by this person, you had certain rights. And if you weren't, you didn't. Well, Same I, as I women. just watched a show about uh, putting the, the K in Ku Klux Klan last night, a documentary, and um, it, it actually did discuss um that moment in time where uh, after the confederate um side lost how um they actually were afraid and created the kkk as um a tool and it was actually a scottish uh documentarian who talked about it and uh, really discussed how white fear was murdering uh black people and getting away with it because as you know um because you've been a part of government, uh, government doesn't act swiftly. And they were perfectly okay with the murder of many black people in order to uh, appease the voters. And um, uh, they actually had made a point that a lot of folks who fought for the Confederate side lost their right to vote. And that was really where this came from, this um, you know, control of black people. So uh, it, it was, it's a really interesting um, conversation to have about loss of control for sure and fear yeah. and how they're, they are put together. So, um, you know, I, I hope people really put that together. And the whole point of the documentary was really the Scottish uh, filmmaker just being in shock that his own people who were oppressed in Scotland came to America to create this better life and got used to being people of privilege and then we're afraid when they were losing their privilege. And I think that's completely relevant to, to right now in 2021, 
where you're seeing uh, a vast majority of very privileged Canadians that are very used to the genocide of Indigenous people and keeping people in their place, as you so adequately um, described in, in school, how teachers are one of the first tools of uh, beating us. And, um, and by the way, one of the TRC calls to action was to actually take um, criminal or to take out physical punishment out of um, the criminal code and it, it still hasn't gotten done. And to me, that should be the signal to Canada. You know, folks like myself, we just took some, my, my daughter, she uh, just left the uh, school system and because of homophobia and, uh, and racism. But, uh, you know, when that's the whole point is that, you know, it, the system is not designed. It, it's, uh, it's babysitting at best. It's, um, you know, uh, trauma at, at its worst. And with the indigenous population, of course, they did it in as a large scale policy, um, which contributed to the genocide. And then here we and, and you know, loss of language, loss of identity. So it's interesting you talking about, you know, being disowned because this concept of, um, you know, cultural um, genocide in the sense that we've lost our, our language and our community and our ways of life this is a loss we deal with. And this is, um, you know, the impetus of a lot of suicide that we have as well. The lack of uh, change and the lack of identity. And then, of course, the um, nurses and doctors being the first tool of colonialism and stealing the children away from their parents and putting them in foster systems, uh, you know, loss of family. Like, it, it's a big conversation that we're having in our community because of this, the government policies that have been imposed on our people. Well, so, and most Canadians do not know. They don't, uh, I first learned about the Indian Act from Wab Canoe's uh, CBC documentary he did. It was called Eight Fire. And I, I didn't know, I didn't know uh, how, how, you know, how often we heard, well, the uh, lazy Indian or the they just don't want to work or they just you know we get we gave them all this land you know like that so much ignorance but to understand that with the indian act it actually prevented people from i mean from basic basic li livelihoods from from owning a tractor from a meeting together from gathering how, how do you plant a, a communal garden to feed your people if you can't meet with the other people that are going to be work with them just simple things like that that we were it, we just didn't talk about it and we didn't know and i agree with you that part of the uh, indoctrination one of the biggest tools is to traumatize because we um i don't know if i mean I don't know that every one of the people that did it knew consciously what they were doing. I mean, we had corporal punishment in school for everybody, but when a child was traumatized and you as another child, powerless in a society of adult rules, and you watch that, you are getting a lesson that if you step out of line, you didn't, especially when I didn't know what he did, I didn't know what had caused it. So I was always suspicious and questioning. And that's what I mean about meaning. What, what did that mean? What was, what was the thing with the teacher who, you know, and to, to understand, I mean, I do think this patriarchal dominance oppression has been orchestrated. I do think that was, it was a conscious, knowing that if we can oppress 
and keep that feminine down. And I don't mean just females. I mean, the feminine energy just to keep it down um, that they could continue to rule the world. And I don't know what their agenda is, but I definitely know there is one. I've, that is in my gut is there is an agenda and we are um, so often threatened, shamed, criticized for questioning, not just for, for um, speaking out against something, but saying, Hey, does that make sense to you? Like, we can't even say that to each other. So, you know, you see social media is full of these one-liners of hate and fear and, you know, telling other people to shut up when they're saying, seeing a headline and saying, is that true? Like, is there another source? Don't question me on my sources. This is my, I've posted this because it's from this news center, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, no, but that's not the question. It's like, what's the story behind the story? What's the, you know, why do they use those particular headlines? What are they trying to do? And this is one that, you know, is very personal for me. So uh, in 2012, my son was killed in, in a uh, one vehicle rollover accident on his way back from Saskatchewan to Calgary. And there were five young people in the vehicle and um, it, it was a really bad accident. It was, it was uh, everyone was ejected from the vehicle, everyone. The vehicle basically ripped apart. And the headlines read, I mean, the RCMP came and notified me in, in the early morning. Um, they, they couldn't identify my son yet. They, they, um, three of them died instantly and two of them miraculously survived, which is really where I, you know, it's like, it's not that random. I mean, five of them should have been dead in theory, two of them weren't. So that really confirmed for me was my son's time to go because there's only one way off the planet. And that's why I keep saying that is because, you know, people have said to me, um, how can you be okay with that? It's mm. like, how can I have, can, I don't own my son. Mm. I don't know what his life plan is. Mm. I don't know why he came and why he left when he left. I don't know any of that. That's not my business. My business is to enjoy the gift that came through me. Um, not to own it, not to try to control it, not to force him to be this or that or do it, whatever. Um, you know, uh, people try to make that my um, well, he didn't get married. He didn't have kids. He did, he, you know, you don't have grandchildren. You're missing out. You're blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm not missing. How can I miss? Um, that's ridiculous. It wasn't my life to live. This is my life to live. His life was to do what he did and get out of here. And that's what he did. And um, so I, I'm not angry about that. Uh, I will, you know, I was angry at the time. Of course, it was like, oh my God, how can this be happening? But what was made me angry and was a good emphasis for me to get rid of some anger was that the headline said, so, and I'm, I'm, I can't quote exactly, I have the clipping here somewhere, but basically what it said is um, five, uh, five, it didn't say five dead, but it said five um, people were, it's this horrific accident, and they may not have been wearing seatbelts. Now, they, they might as well said may not have been wearing socks. Because if when you say it like that, it implies 
there's the socks would have played a role in them not dying or dying. And that the seatbelts, if they would have been wearing them, would have prevented their deaths. And the truth was they were wearing seatbelts and the RCMP knew this because of the crash site of, they knew uh, the autopsy confirmed that my son was wearing a seatbelt because of, his, um, of the injuries. But the seats were ejected from the vehicle. So the seatbelt was not a factor, but they put that in the headlines. And so I was angry, really angry at the media. I thought, this is not a truth. This is a flat out lie. And you're using my son's death to promote a lie. Mm -hmm. And so, and I, I wear my seatbelt and I knew my son always wore his seatbelt. And it's not that I thought it was going to keep me from dying. I just wear it because I'm used to it sure. more than anything, you know, yeah. but um, so anyway, I phoned, I got found out who the media person was and I reamed them out about it. And he just said, we got the report from the RCMP. That's what they released to us. That's what we printed. That's what it was. So this media person didn't even have enough curiosity Mm -hmm. to go beyond what he had been given. He didn't go and look for himself. He didn't investigate further. He just, it was, to me, it's very lazy journalism because yep. if you're going to put that on a headline, you better know there's some facts behind that. <clears throat> but, and then of course he thought by saying that he got it from the RCMP, he was off the hook and I should accept that authority. Now, here's the thing. My father was an RCMP officer, a head of a detachment in Manitoba. So I grew up living in a detachment. My father died um, prematurely of a heart attack when I was nine years old, he was only 37. So that was my first major trauma life altering event. Um, and I had a lot of illusions about the RCMP because my dad was a really great guy. And I knew that he was fair with people. I had seen him in action being fair with people. So I had, as a child, transferred that to all RCMP. I had started to have, um, by the time my son's accident, I had started to have some realization that just because you're part of a group doesn't mean you're all the same. All women are not the same as me. All RCMP officers are not the same. Um, we're, they're all individuals. So anyway, I, but, but so that instead of it being me accepting that as authority, this was me saying, the RCMP lied to you, lied to me, like, so this was another trauma, right? Cause I was feeling it like personal. Yeah. So I phoned the RCMP detachment and I spoke to the Sergeant. It was a woman. And I explained to her that that headline was a lie. And she said, yes, but she said, whenever an accident or something major like this happens that makes national headlines, we use it to educate the public. And that's, I, I said, you didn't educate anybody. Mm -hmm. You lied. You told people that if they wore their seatbelt, they wouldn't die. And that's a lie because there is no uh, guarantee when you're going to die and when you're not, whether you have the seatbelt on or you're not. And she, she just totally dismissed me. Yeah. She didn't give it one. It was like, and so that's when I started to say, yeah. there is an agenda to indoctrinate people, to 
build on our fear, to get us to do things that we would or wouldn't do, you know, on our own um, and call it education. It's not education. It's indoctrination. You know, I, I think everything you just said is so critical and important for people who are not in Alberta to understand the way we think as Albertans, because um, not yesterday, but the day before, I'm certain you must have heard about the 14 year old that died um, in the health system. And the parents, the family really spoke out and said, he did not die of COVID-19 as you suggested, but he actually had died of stage four cancer. And as of yesterday, I seen both Rachel Notley and uh, Dina Henshaw apologize for implying that he died of COVID-19. And, um, you know, and, and I think it's relevant to what you're saying, mm -hmm. because it's an example of, you know, at, at the time, it made sense for everybody to use um, his death as an example of um, why it is you should get vaccinated in the middle of a global pandemic, but actually because um, it is propaganda and it was inappropriate to use this death in that capacity um when people found out they apologized and i was shocked actually that dr dina henshaw apologized because that's actually not the norm that it, it would be the opposite to ignore it and move on just as we see other you know politicians and but, other but it does do that. It, it, each time yep a person has an experience a personal experience that's when, and this has been happening to a lot of people I've spoken to. And, and, you know, when I was in politics, I mean, I did not get elected. I ran into elections, but I, I wasn't elected into um, to office in that way. I was uh, president of a federal political party, but I was not elected as a member of parliament or legislature. However, I participated in candidate debates and I was very aware that what happened in a debate in public with all kinds of people there, all the candidates, and then was reported in the news the next day was not the same thing. Mm -hmm. It was not what happened in the event. And so, and that happened more than once. And so I, I, I you know, it, 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 was very, it was very clear to me that, that this is being, and also even the public, that's the other part of it. It's not just, I'm not here, to, I'm not trying to bash the media. I'm, they're very good journalists and that's, that's fine. But the reality is people need to be free to question everything, yeah. question everything. I, you know, I, I used to make a joke about myself. I'm stuck in the three-year-old why, 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 why? Because it, if we don't question it, if we accept everything the way it is, this is why we're yelling at each other. This is why we're being violent towards other people who are saying, like the indigenous people who are saying, hey, listen, this happened to us. And I feel like a lot of people are non-indigenous people are all have also been traumatized in a different way. And this is triggering for them in a way, it's almost like a, uh, because they weren't hurt either. They weren't hurt in their trauma. They, maybe they became addicts, they did whatever. And, and they're seeing all this attention being given to, uh, I mean, something that's not an individual thing. It's, it's a glo you know, global thing, genocide. Um, it, but it's personal for them because it's triggered their trauma again. And they're saying, 
I wasn't heard. I wasn't compensated. I wasn't, and they, and they can't even look or think or question beyond that. If, you know, you were traumatized or sexually assaulted by your family member within your family situation, it is traumatic. It is horrific. It is. And, and I totally get that we did not have the tools to, to help people. There was nowhere you could go to speak. I get that. But in the case of the Indigenous people, it wasn't their family that was doing it. It was the government, the society, the, and, and they weren't just doing it to one person. When you look at what happened in the residential schools, child after child after child, and I am sure we have not heard the whole of it. And this may be politically incorrect, but I have to say this because, because I can, but I want to know why no one's talking about the Queen in all of this. We keep hearing about, and this may be just my own ignorance, but we talk about, you know, the Canadian government has to do this, it should have done this and needs to pay and whatever. But the queen, our current queen has been the queen since the 19, late 1940s or early 50s. Um, I wasn't alive when she was coronated, but I do recall that. So she's been on the throne an awfully long time. And a lot of this stuff came from that British crown colonialism. That's what this whole country was founded on. And the fight between them and Quebec and, and, and I mean, um, France being able to, who was gonna control this land that mass the resources and get rid of the indigenous people that were in the way. And I just, I, I wonder why that has, you know, why I, I'm, I'm not, I don't know the answer to it, but I know that- I nobody, do. I know I, I can tell you point blank that settlers do not have their algorithm set for Canadian or for Indigenous voices. Literally yesterday, I was calling out um, the uh, Prince William for having the fucking audacity for being like oh, these world leaders and their climate change policies, and ultimately white um, settler colonialism has even taken. Uh, climate change voices away from Indigenous people. And if you wouldn't have per perpetrated genocide globally on Indigenous people, genocide, like our people were taking care of the land for thousands of years. And the moment a bunch of settlers show up is the, the world just completely has gone into this disarray. So like a hundred percent and and I call it out and I know many of the indigenous community call it out, but the problem with settlers is they cannot give control to indigenous voices. The algorithms well, that... are set so that you can't see it. And even then, um, a lot of anti-indigenous bias is still in there and they would rather make their own narrative than retweet an indigenous person. And that is 100% seen. I've been on social media for years now for well over, because what, 20 or 2007 was when I had my daughter and I've seen it and I, I can show you um, the algorithms that that show up if I retweet a settler it will get retweeted but if I put out my own words like maybe maybe six people will see it it's incredible I find so, that I have to because I that is my belief is that it's not my voice that needs to be heard and i've said this over and over again to people yeah. it's it's me retweeting giving my platform to 
other people who are indigenous, who are know what's going on and to, to share what they're saying. That's what I, I try to do, but I have to look for it. I have to, I have to look for your tweets. I've been following you for a long time, but I have not seen your tweets showing up on a regular in my feed. I see the same people over and over again. And, you know, uh, it's to me noteworthy that um, Blackfoot Sharna is uh, her handle on Twitter. She is an outspoken Indigenous woman and her count was suspended throughout the whole of the election. And she said it was after the polls closed in BC, about two minutes after it, she could tweet again. Now that is, I mean, beyond um, my, my, I, like, I don't, I don't, I do understand it because I know that there are people who are controlling Twitter and, and, and Facebook who are, have a different agenda. I, I know that. And I think this is what annoys me most of all is that every time people say, connect the dots, follow the money, look into this, question it, you're a conspiracy theorist. And I'm so sick of hearing that because there are conspiracies going on. It's not a theory. There are conspiracies. There've been conspiracies. We know that. It's it's not rocket science for crying out loud. We it was a conspiracy. Call it genocide was planned. It was in. I mean, I call it a conspiracy. It was written down. They had a playbook for Christ's sakes. How much more clear could it be? And the fact that it's continuing and. And, and, and voices are still being silenced. And when you try to question, I mean, I, I, I never know, like I try to, I, I'm not gonna retweet somebody just because they're indigenous, because there are people who are, who will like, cause I don't know that they're, I'm just going by their Twitter profile, right? But I tweet what has contact. I'm not just gonna tweet out somebody's message if it's, you know, just hate filled. But if it has content, if it is actually questioning what's going on, or even if it's just angry, but it has some, if there's a reason to listen to this, then I will do that. But I'm not just, um, I'm questioning everything. I question everything everybody says, because I want the truth. And I know that we're not getting it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. I um. I used to uh, be in the 9-11 truther movement actually at one point in time because they were the only ones willing to talk about um, uh, the genocide that happened. Um, I had visited my grandmother's um, residential school and I mean they had a, a huge memorial with all of the dead people long before TRC was ever there and I like their the field is clear like you you don't walk around it you stay in between these little white rocks. Uh, because you actually don't know where all the graves are. And even those rocks, you very well could be walking on the um, graves of people, as far as you know. It's, um, you know, the, they were the only people giving us space. And the Canadian media, the Canadian public, they've been trained to silence our elders, um, Indigenous voices forever. And, you know, that said, like Canagus uh, uh, Manuel, she has been fighting um, on the land against the pipeline. And like, she's just outright, fuck you, RCMP. And I see settlers that are just too fragile to even retweet that. And um, so I know by being a bystander and being complicit, this is not somebody who is my ally. They will stand by and be complicit when 
I get killed by the RCMP, my daughter mm. gets apprehended, whatever, you know, trauma is happening to me. Yeah. Because that's what Canadians do. And that's what they've always done. And worse, they even vote for it. So like here yeah. in Alberta, you know, um, yeah. Jason Kennedy and Kenny has long history of like the barbaric snitch line and all of these um, awful racist practices that federally and yet Albertans proudly voted for him. So, know. you know, that just... that's where I, I, I say about indoctrination. It is it is powerful. And yeah. and I from a spiritual point of view, metaphysical point of view, I know this planet is shifting. She has shifted. She is moving into a higher frequency and she is not going to tolerate this kill or be killed attitude that we've had against each other. She's going to survive. She's going to go on whether or not we're capable of living on her or not. But it's, it's this whole idea that we have, we have been taught to accept everything that is, is stated in media without um, question is stated by politicians. It's promises that cannot be kept or that won't be kept to, to, you know, I mean, I remember when Andrew Shear ran in his riding uh, a cup, you know, several times, and it was quoted everywhere that he actually said, I don't need your Indian votes. Yep. And then I looked up for, because there was a young indigenous guy who was running in that riding the previous times, um, Sinclair, I believe is his last name. Yeah, so Rita Sinclair is a part of my party. Um, I know you oh. haven't name dropped it, but I'm a liberal. And I know you since you name dropped Sharna Blackfoot, she's a liberal. Um, you know, I, I'm part of the Indigenous Peoples Commission. This is a great example of the racism where, um, you know, ultimately she doesn't identify as Indigenous enough to be a part of the Indigenous Peoples Commission, but liberals and so-called supporters will not retweet Indigenous Peoples Commission voices at all. It doesn't like, will not do it. It's like the greatest example of racism in our progressive circles. And, uh, and worse, not even vote for our policies when we put them forward. So. You know, like this is this is that example of how even when we're supposed to be in those same like-minded red tent, we're not. But anyway, uh, our uh, Sinclair um, grandsons of Rena both ran in the last election, and it actually one of them even came and helped George Jahal get elected. So, because um, he needed all hands on deck, all phone calls, all of those things, and a lot of people have like you've ran, so you know what it's like. But a lot of people haven't. And they think that, um, you know, this is uh, an easy thing to do and it's not like- No, it's you not. You have all these youth in George Shahal's office making these phone calls. You have all these youth out in the public, you know, putting up these signs and door knocking with him. And um, and it's, it's not fun, it sucks. And a lot of campaigns are so toxic. Um, yeah. One of my favorite ones I've been a part of is um, uh, Marilyn North Pagans and she, has basically like um folks from the entertainment industry and security that are helping her so oh. they don't have the same uh toxic mentality that a lot of the kids from straight from poli sci bring into these parties and um and put out there so it's been really good but i um i know rena the indigenous people's commission the her grandsons who both ran for the liberal party we were all putting it out there but do you think you can get a liberal to retweet us no way no way there's way too much settler control there so uh, you know i i was i was tweeting out um um this young guy it was the last election 
And yeah. because I was just horrified for one thing, he was an, he was a young guy, yeah. lots of passion. Yeah. He was intelligent. He was industrious. He was all the things Andrew Shear was not. Yep. And on top of that, he was indigenous and there was, I forgot forget how many reserves they have in that riding that Andrew Shear had never visited according to the chiefs it was reported I had to look for yep. it but when because I wanted to know what well, what are the indigenous people saying about how do, are they feeling well supported and of course they were not but here's the thing that just blew my mind after everything he did federally Andrew Shear uh, or didn't do however you want to call it he ran again, even though he was told, you know, get lost as far as the party leadership. He ran again in that riding and got elected. Yep. Now, there is something very wrong with our society that we cannot see through this, this pure and utter bullshit. And I mean, I, I, I'm only one person and I'm not trying to, you know, I certainly don't. I'm actually not a party person anymore, having been through the process with parties. But I do what I do is I select the party with the best vision, with the biggest, even though they're not perfect, I don't expect them to be. I know when I ran, I wasn't perfect. I wasn't offering myself as perfect humans with real passion. That's what I'm looking for. Real leadership, you know, mm -hmm. not, not the person who gets in front of the parade that's already going. I mean, yeah. the person who is going and you want to follow, that's leadership. Yeah. You know, that's Gandhi energy. That's that kind of, um, but I just, I, I feel I don't feel as helpless um, as I'm hearing some people say, because I think that is, um, I, I guess because I've been through so much trauma in my own life that it's, I, I kind of, I, I, when I feel helpless, I do something. Yeah, I, it, I'm not that person either. I, I don't know what it's like to be helpless because there's always something that can be done. There's no yeah. question to me. Yeah. And uh, whether or not people listen, that's up to them. Well, but, yeah, you know, no, it's but not I, from I, a lack me. of uh, helplessness, that's for sure. And I think that that is what, um, you know, the, the issue with suicide is that the helplessness comes from that, where it's like, you've tried, you've come to nowhere. Uh, but then a movie like Night Raiders or Dune comes out where I think people remember, like are forced to remember you know, uh, societies uh, reset themselves. And, um, you know, our people have been here for thousands of years. Now we're going to have a whole bunch of newcomers in our blood, thanks to uh, rape, colonialism, and, uh, and everything else. And um, you know, now we're at a point where clean drinking water is a global problem. Um, you know, it's always been a problem since um, Canadian industrial capitalism yeah. has uh, ruined the water systems across the country that there's were a good uh, predatory capitalism what's what it's called predatory capitalism there's a, a book by um john perkins i think it is um confessions of an economic hitman and yep. he explains yep. very clearly if people haven't read that book or seen his videos check it out like if you think we're not being used manipulated traumatized for a greater purpose that's not for us yeah. I mean, it, pitting us against each other, settler against indigenous people, instead of recognizing we're all one. And, and, and this whole concept of, well, I can tell you indigenous don't feel that way, but settlers do because they've been indoctrinated that way. And you don't feel we're all one? Uh, no, I feel like settlers think there's an us versus them mentality, but it's actually the settlers that do that, not indigenous. Because oh, I know. Always, 
been welcoming. Uh, we've no, I know, I know. Are you which, kidding? Yeah. Even, even in even in the in the so-called Christian religions, is us and them. It's the Protestants or the Catholics, or that's you're not Christian enough, and you know that kind of crap. And it's just it's it's humans, man usually making God in its image, not not awareness of what is God. You know, and I'm not here to say, but I just can see this this there's so much like I feel I feel cheated I feel cheated by not knowing the history and the wisdom of the indigenous people I feel like it's not just it's a crime against humanity it's a crime against the the the, the indigenous people for for thriving for generations of of gifts that we will never see because they're buried underground because the the the, the einsteins of the future were in those little schools with, with be under so much horror and even the ones that, that survived have so many wounds that it's so hard to to bring the gifts forward and and i know that because i only just started to bring forward my art which is is something I didn't even know I could do because all I knew how to do was duty, obligation, duty to the family, duty to the church, duty to society as a woman, as a mother, as a whatever, doing my job. And not, not to say that <clears throat> it, 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 it's not about, it's not, you know, it's getting to that point where we understand what is the meaning of life? Why are we here? We can't take any of it with us. We are not going to get brownie points on the other side because we squashed a whole bunch of other people to get to the top of our imaginary pyramid. We are not, none of that stuff matters. Like, and I just feel like, um, like I was really pissed about the Truth and Reconciliation Day and the fact that I, like I expected you know, Remembrance Day. Um, I actually, I'm going to stop you there because I know that's why you were blocked. And, I, and I'm going to point this out right now is that oh. um, it really upset me that settlers thought they had a voice in this at all, frankly, and that but, um, they fell for conservative media and that yeah. they, um, you know, put out their opinions at all instead of and, and took away from um, all the survivors. And that's what happened. And I'm I'm so angry about it that I just went on mass blockings. I I can't stand it. I cannot stand how settlers constantly take away our voices, and um, and it really upset me that day more than any day that settlers thought it was their point at any point to put in their opinion other than to share Indian residential school survivors. Yeah, voices. Yeah. It, it really upset me and. Um, it really upset me the way the liberals would she so this sharma lady that you talk about they parade her around because she's the token indian that says what she wants that says exactly what they want her to say and oh, that's geez. problematic because she has hurt a lot of the indigenous community i'm so sorry yes i i did not know that i, I know so sorry. i know because nobody listens and that's that's the problem so um as she explores her red world I know that our Indigenous community will bring her in if she was willing to listen, but the, we have tried to engage with her for years. <laughs> she's not engaging back. So I she's so really sorry. quite harmful, actually, to our community. And, um, and the fact is, you know, we need 
and the only voice that matters on September 30th are right. Indigenous uh, survivors' stories. That's it. But that's that's what I what I'm saying. I thought that our media, uh, it, naive, but I thought we were moving forward. I thought that whole day and the night before and whatever would have been listening to you, listening to people like you, chiefs, and and it, it, not just that, survivors, and 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 explaining and and explaining to us. Tell us what this friggin' Indian Act is about. Why is it still around? What is going on with it? What help us to understand how people were oppressed? How it is that because the trauma isn't just from the residential schools, although that is bad enough. It's the other stuff that is that prevented Indigenous people from thriving. From you know, yeah. and not 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 about them integrating. Not about them integrating, but thriving. Like there should be whole universities and and shit. I'm sorry. I just I I feel so. Uh, I I will say that the one thing that is most upsetting to me is that there's no playbook on this on how the fuck to get it right. That's the problem. Is but trying there is, to and that's the problem. And it's okay. been established. Um, so 1996, there was over 400 recommendations on the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples. And settlers went, eh. And then in 2015, we gave, you know, volumes of books. And they went, eh. And then they had the audacity to put in their opinion of shock and horror when they found the bodies that were literally in the smallest, tiniest summaries of the TRC that had been existing since 2015. Um, and that is excluding the voices of the Indigenous people that have been telling people, like the very, um, you know, memorials that were there at my, my family's Indian residential school. Like it, it, to feel gaslit is an understatement. And yeah. I didn't even go through the stupid school system. They did. And as obviously somebody who is a part of their family, it's my yep. job to remind Canadians this has to be fixed now. And, um, you know, so it, it, it's just so frustrating. I can't even tell you how upsetting it is. Like I've had a book club since 2015. It's been free, open to the public, started by, you know, it was an initiative Carolyn Bennett put out to everybody, every Canadian in 2015 to start a book club. And honestly, it's a small minority on September 30th, rather than, you know, mourning or reflecting or focusing on my healing. I was busy putting in candidates, crappy racist opinions on indigenous people because we have a stupid election coming up. And I knew on October 4th, when we had the sisters and spirit vigil, there was no way I was going to be able to get all of that inputted by then. So I had to do it on September 30th rather than, you know, just be me and mourn and think about all of the things I have to reclaim. But to me, that is really important work because to this day, people still don't get reconciliation and it's 2021 after yeah. all of these reports. So yeah. anyway, yeah, I can tell you and I could probably talk forever and I'm grateful for that. So when your book is released, I definitely encourage you to come back to my show and we will uh, talk about it, have part two and go from there and you know it, is there anything else that you'd like to close with i just want to thank you for sharing with me and for um helping me to understand things that i didn't understand before 
And I think, I think the conversation just has to go on. We just have to have them. We have to, and, and beyond the conversation, the action that goes beyond the conversation, because what, you know, and I think that'll happen naturally if we have the conversations, but if people are interested in my work, my art, my, my book, they can uh, absolutely check out my website and I'm on all my links to social media are on there. Clarity Whisper, art and soul.com. Right on. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you Catherine. so much. Yeah. All right. And I'm going to say my closing with some resources. So if you end up having a resource that you want to promote, please don't hesitate to kind of interject and we'll go from there. Awesome. Thanks, Catherine. Uh, I'm really proud that this podcast has given solutions, cultural safety training, cultural first aid in all of them to create a safer place for Indigenous people of colour, those with disabilities and LGBTQ2 plus to speak. Thank you authors uh, Cheryl Ward, uh, Chelsea Branch and Alicia Fritkin of what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it. Their work and those cultural action tools I've said over 100 times in my podcast, so please support Indigenous work like that as a part of your reconciliation work and settler understanding. I'm just lucky enough to highlight and repeat it here. Internalized racism and lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous and marginalized folks experience by the structure of racism imposed on these lands with the Indian Act, uh, Indian Residential School and other land clearing policies. Uh, RacialEquityTools.org, What is Internalized Racism by Donna Bevins. I really encourage people who don't understand oppression dynamics to learn about oppression dynamics, read that and see how we are contributing. And arguably, I just contributed with um, talking about one of these online profile people who are disconnected from their uh, Indigenous community. We have tried to engage, but they, they don't want to engage back. So these are uh, things that of lateral violence, internalized racism that we all need to address. Um, do's and don'ts for bystander intervention by American Friends Service Committee has some great information about how to engage if you're seeing a woman with a hijab or, or somebody being uh, targeted in a negative way. Um, also, there's uh, acttoendracism.ca where you can also text at 587-507-3838. They're actually a coalition of the Asian communities trying to address the hate that especially, um, I mean, it's been longstanding and historical and of course popped up even worse during this pandemic. Um, Indigenous have been talking about this issue, about these issues, sharing our traumas and reports, commissions and public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded, no more. Honor our words, honor the treaties, listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with gender equity plus, if they are cutting violence prevention programs and services, Indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, or just have a lack of human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disabilities, know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports on child welfare reform, violence prevention, and now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls and Two-Spirit, Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational justice and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing, demand change from election platforms and politicians. They don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism. They literally have zero business running. Should be understood by all parties, politicians, community organizations, sports clubs, etc. 
a great article that is um, out there is Truth Before Truth, how non-Indigenous Canadians become allies. And actually now there are so many uh, articles out there on how non-Indigenous Canadians can be allies if you just Google it. Um, if you're experiencing emotional distress after anything we talked about today and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is toll free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, if you go to their website, hopeforwellness.ca, they do have a text box. If more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit, there's a toll-free number at 844-413-6649. It is 24-7 uh, as well. And for non-Indigenous, there are uh, distress center lines in your area, usually a functioning 211. And if not, you can call 833 456-4566. If you are a 60 Scoop survivor, there is the 60 Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta at ssisa.ca, and you can look for hashtag survivor driven. Um, if you experience uh, racism, please report it at stophate.ca as well as act to end racism. Um, I want to give a shout out to the Trevor Project. They have uh, tons of LGBTQ2 plus crisis supports and uh, strongly recommend them both in Canada and in the US and then here in Canada the kids help phone at 1-800-668-6868. Violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started the podcast to speak freely without interruption, tone police, leadership shaming, gaslighting, um, as many people don't want to hear our opinion, but sure want to tell us theirs, usually by people who know nothing about Indigenous people, colonialism, the constant surveillance of our people, protests and vigils, and our rights. Microaggressions, people dealing with internalized racism, gatekeepers that survive off the status quo, or people who are really in their trauma and are unable to do the work. Uh, internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. That's why I started this podcast. And as a place for our voices to be heard without there being, you know, funding cut by provincial or federal uh, people. So thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom of what strength looks like through your example, my numerous aunts and uncles that will keep me in my place if I need to be. Um, my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots. Uh, she is a first-generation Calgarian, so I am a second-generation Calgarian, but I make fun of anybody who calls themselves a native whatever if they're non-Indigenous because that's racist. Uh, thank you to my husband, Darcy, for producing and editing the show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, the father of our child, he has been my support of my journey down this red road, and he has witnessed decades of racism and sexism to our child. We are blessed to learn from daily. We are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. And I hope one day that my family will be proud in the future of us trying to discuss these present day issues. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian where you can pledge and support. Thank you to the previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. Really, I can't stress that enough folks who have donated, uh, especially recently. Um, and that said, if you are a person that uh, doesn't understand land acknowledgement or wants to pick my brain, you can go to my website at nativecalgarian.com uh, to, you know, get those services. So I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Uh, I also have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe and we have pin posts on social media. And I want to end by giving side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not your dish.
and my beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish. Thank you for listening.